Welcome back to Hand on the Line Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Boggs, and this is episode nine. So coming in nine weeks strong, I've been finding time to do this every week, enjoying it, getting a lot of good feedback still. Views were down a little bit on the YouTube, but um, still still rolling on the Apple, so I appreciate it, guys, man. I appreciate all the feedback. I appreciate the views, the support, the subscriptions. Appreciate it all, man. Having fun doing this. Uh, I'm just going to do what I did last week. I'm going to go back to answering some questions. And then uh, in these next couple of weeks, I got some guests lined up, some uh, really, really good guests in the O-line world and some really cool uh, uh, mental guests. I think I'm bringing back Dr. Dickhead. We'll see. Uh, so I'm just going to go through some questions I got that I saved on my IG DMs, and we'll go from there. I'll make it about an hour. Nothing really planned out. So first question is, oh, this comes up all the time. I'm a smaller offensive lineman. I struggle to keep weight up. Right now in training camp, already lost 10 pounds. What are your thoughts on nutrition? Any tricks of the, tr- any tricks of the trade that you would recommend to help me maintain my gains that I worked so hard all offseason, to get, to get all offseason? All right, this, this comes up all the time. So I'll start off. I love talking food and nutrition. What alignment doesn't like talking about food? So for starters, not a doctor. Not an expert, not a nutritionist. I could tell you my experience with food. I could tell you my experience as a small, undersized, I'll put that in quotes, undersized, whatever the hell that means, as a small, undersized offensive line athlete, having to gain weight, gain weight, find ways to gain weight with the slow metabolism. I could tell you the things I did. I could tell you things that were uh, didn't work for me, which doesn't mean they're not going to work for you. I could tell you things that did work for me which might screw you up, right? So the key with all of this is to listen to your body. And that's something I got with the whole nutrition thing. That was the biggest thing I took from uh, trying everything under the sun, let's just say from 2004 to 2018. So I'm going to go ahead and bless you with my journey of nutrition. So for starters in camp, keep that simple. You are just burning the candle at both ends. You are breaking your body down. You are just at a metabolic just car wreck. It is it is brutal, right? I don't know. We used to practice two times a day. I don't think they're doing that. But regardless, you're out there in the sun. If you're in high school, he's a young offensive lineman. He's doing up-downs just because. He's doing bear crawls just because. That's just a warm-up, right? He's doing Oklahoma drills, hopefully not. He's doing all kinds of stuff, in pads. Uh, stressed out, still probably having to lift, finishing the practice with gassers or 110s or crazy 300s, you are just a car wreck, right? So you got to keep it simple. You just you can't eat enough, and that's the truth, man. Uh, and I'm a guy that likes to eat healthy. I've been criticized for how healthy I eat all the time. Not now, but when I played, all the time. No, screw that. Everyone criticizes me for how I eat. But in training camp, you gotta be. You gotta be honest with what's going on. You did not. No one is truly trained as hard as your practices and, and the, the summer games and stuff are. You're, you're in pads for the first time. It's just more tax on you. Got coaches. You got whistles. You got punishments. All these things add up. So you just gotta be honest. You gotta eat. You can't eat enough. So for training camp, I'll give you my approach. Okay, I would eat a healthier diet. Right. I would have carbs, white rice. That's always my go-to, still my go-to. I eat white rice all day, uh, well, two times a day, even though I'm still 295. But um, 
So I, I would eat lots of white rice. If that's not your option, if your option is French fries and burgers, I don't give a damn. You have to eat a lot. You know what I mean? If you're just running across the street from your high school in between practices or in between film or whatever and getting some cheeseburgers and fries, you got to do what you got to do. Throw in some milkshakes. <laughs> and this is, this is I know, this is not healthy advice. This is for competition, right? This is for competing. And if we're going to be honest, if you wanted to be healthy, you don't compete. So we're talking about two different worlds. I'm not telling somebody this that just works out really hard for general health. I wouldn't tell them this, right? Because they're trying to be healthy. Competition is not necessarily healthy. It's not really good for you. We, I mean, let's just be freaking honest. The training might be leading up to competition, might be relatively healthy, but come on. We're not going to pretend this is healthy. So in training camp, you're a small guy. You're losing weight. Um, see, I got off track because I, I <laughs> went from my example to what – you should what you might have. I'll just go my example and then I'll throw some other things. Sorry. So I'd eat white rice and meat. That was my go-to. I ate fatty meat in training camp. Uh, the fattier the steak, the better. If I was eating chicken, it was chicken thighs. I was throwing in avocados. I was throwing in macadamia nuts. So in a meal, a meal might look like a big bowl of white rice, a fatty piece of meat or ch- uh, chicken thighs, or if it was fish, it had to be really fatty, sardines or uh, salmon. That was because I needed more calories. The more caloric dense it is, the better. I throw in an avocado. That's a back then that was a dollar, dollar fifty for two hundred twenty calories. Great, um, and that'd be my base. I throw in a handful of macadamia nuts. A little more expensive, but a handful of macadamia nuts was another two hundred calories. So if I could pull off three, four meals like that, you know, I, I could easily, easily getting thousands of calories a day. And I'm putting in shakes in between, snacks in between, but. In training camp, I was just aiming for 8,000 calories a day. If I was eating five to 6,000 calories in the summer, in training camp, I wanted, I wanted more, right? Um, one of the things I did, I'm not a big dairy guy. I don't, I don't ever really do dairy at all. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't eat cheese. I don't eat uh, milk. I, I love milk, but I never drink it. But one of the things you could throw in is you throw in uh, a, a glass of whole milk if you could tolerate it, right? Don't, don't screw up the old line room if you're lactose intolerant. Don't get everyone upset. But if you can, if you can tolerate milk with your meal, whatever that may be, it's, it, it may not look like mine. It may look like whatever's available to you. Maybe that's fast food. I hate fast food. Training camp, you do what you got to do. You throw in a glass of whole milk. You know what I mean? That's an easy way to get 150 calories. Maybe you work up to uh, half a gallon a day. I can't do that math in my head, but let's just say eight ounces each time is going to be 150 calories. You could easily, you know, throw in uh, an extra 600 calories just with the liquid alone in a day, throughout a day, or, or more. Maybe you end up with a gallon, but that's a good trick to have. Um, I, I'm, I was big on this one, though. Like, even though I ate healthy, I would throw in a milkshake with ice cream and milk. Even when I was, like, not eating dairy and I was eating clean in the NFL, I would throw in a milkshake, maybe right after practice, just – you know, just a 2,000-calorie sugar kick, fat, all that. I wanted all that, right? So I'd throw that in. You could do that uh, in high school, early on in my high school career. Well, early on in my high school, well, I guess it's called a career. I would uh, go to Wendy's, and I would get the 99-cent menu. I would get a couple bacon cheeseburgers. I would get a couple uh, or order of fries and then, like, uh, two of the, uh, what the hell are their drinks called? Whatever, they're delicious milkshakes. I haven't had one since I was probably 16. Those were amazing, but I would have a couple of those. That's an easy way. Those got to be, you know, 
pushing the calories up there. So if you're thinking training camp, I think the bets are off, right? Now, you got to – it comes with a disclaimer, right? You get hurt. You get beat up. Some of these junky foods cause, cause a lot of inflammation. They may impede the progress. So I would say when you if, – if you do get something nagging, you got to clean it up, right? In high school – I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but those college and NFL guys, you get something nagging, clean it up. And you got to remember also, when I'm telling you this, I'm talking about milkshakes and whole milk and all this stuff. I was an athlete trying to gain weight. I didn't want to, just like this high school athlete said, I'm assuming high school athlete, he said young high school, uh, I think he said young high school lineman. Um, we didn't want to lose our gains. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's referring to. I'm not telling the guy that's not making his weight to add a cup of whole milk, right? I think you got to eat a lot of calories, but you got to be a little smarter when you're the guy that can't that can't make weight. You're too heavy. I'm not telling you to have the, the frosty from Wendy's. I'm not telling you to do that, right? This is different. We're all unique. That's why I think O-line, you don't make robots in technique. You do not make robots in food because you'll have a lot of people who are too skinny or too fat, right? So if you're too big, be honest with yourself, man. You want that frosty, but you're still doing the 300-yard shuttle that you couldn't complete uh, for the conditioning test every week and you're not making weight? Be real with yourself, man. You could, you, you're going to need a lot of calories because you're beating yourself up. You're, you're, you, and we have to be honest, we're never going to fully recover in training camp or hell week or whatever it's called, high school, college, whatever. You're never going to fully recover. You just live with it. So you want a ton of calories. But if you're overweight, be smart about what those calories look like. If it's something available to you, if you're in the NFL or you're at a major college program, healthier food is available to you as, as far as I know, right? Even at Humboldt State, F that place, we had, um, we had healthier options, right? And then they always had the ice cream stuff. I stayed away from the ice cream pretty much in uh, college uh, in the NFL, when I was like really struggling to keep weight up, I grab I grab a shake or two, whatever I could, right? So I'm talking. Remember, Taylor Boggs. I did not tell the overweight guy to get the frosty. I'm telling the guy that's struggling to keep weight, like he said, he's already down ten pounds. What are we? We're we're what's the date? We are sent this yes. Or, okay, so he sent this on the fourteenth. Okay, so I don't know when they started. They started. Let's assume August. He's two weeks in, he's down 10 pounds. All right, man, you get a frosty. If you're two weeks in and you gain some weight, I mean, I mean, maybe you don't practice hard enough, maybe you're hurt, but be smart, right? Okay? Like I said, everyone's different. We have to treat, we have to treat it as such. You know, so just so I don't leave you with this, like, extreme of frosties and stuff. So in an off-season, I wanted to eat healthy. I wanted to eat clean. I wanted to recover. I wanted to manage inflammation, whatever that means, right? I don't want to sound like a doctor, but I wanted to not feel swelling. I wanted to feel good in my next workout. And some days I wanted to feel like crap in my next workout because I wanted to know I could push through it, right? So there's that inward, that nuance. But my diet in the NFL, I've spoke about this before. I had meat shakes. I would put rice and fatty cuts of meat and avocado and spinach and, and heavy whipping cream until I no longer could handle dairy uh, in a shake, and I would drink them like soup, you know, and there'd be like, I'd have like eight of them through the day, 
and there would be a thousand calories each, ton of protein, ton of fat, a ton of carbs. But I was, you know, I, in my mind, I was eating cleaner. You know, the, the carbs in there were white rice. It wasn't cereal. The meat in there was grass-fed steak, right? Um, I had spinach in there because Popeye, right? Of course I had spinach in there. And then heavy whipping cream because uh, I was on that kick, the saturated fat and all that was great for you, right? Don't, and, uh, um, yeah, but that was a big chunk of my career in the offseason. That's how I was eating. I was trying to gain weight, and I wanted to be clean, right? And I wanted to feel good. I didn't want to put it all on my stomach. I didn't want to lose strength. I didn't want to – or I didn't want to maybe – just gain weight room strength and lose speed. I wanted to look a certain way because I wanted to match the way my game was. Um, when I got away from the meat shakes, I was just simply white rice, uh, vegetables, and meat. Same thing. Same thing I put in a freaking shake. That's what I ate all day, right? When that when, when I kind of struggled to uh, keep weight on with that, I would throw shakes in between meals. Uh, I did mess around with the uh, a glass of milk a few times in meals just to add you know, maybe those 150 calories and stuff like that. But it's really simple. Um, oh, shoot. I left the ringer on. Sorry about that. I'm not editing these yet either. I'm just kind of giving to you live and raw. I mean, just giving to you live. And so the key for me was, okay, how can I make this meal more calorically dense? Okay, well, I'd add some, maybe add an avocado, add a glass of milk and stuff. I've tried so many freaking diets, right? Because I was always looking for the secret. I was always looking for what was going to make me uh, better, going to make me get me to where I was trying to go. Uh, I've done the paleo. I think the paleo makes you feel great. It, it restricts some things, but you just you could eat more or eat less, right? That's how I look at it. Basically, paleo in a nutshell. You take out rice, you take out uh, bread, and that's pretty much it, right? Sugars and things like that. But you eat meat and potatoes, meat and sweet potatoes, you actually feel really good. Um, you just, for me, I just ate more. I've heard that it was a way to lose weight, but I'm like, well, if I ate more, because uh, I would hear people talk about how it did so much well for my inflammation, it got rid of my tendonitis, stuff like that. I experienced a lot of good things eating a paleo diet. A lot of people on paleo diet were trying to eat less food, right, to lose weight also and feel better. Well, I was just like, I'll just eat more food, the calorie, eat more calories, and I'll eat that clean paleo diet. So I thought the paleo diet was great. Just understand that it can go both ways. Maybe it could help you lose weight if you're wanting to lose weight, but if you're not wanting to lose weight, it could do the same thing too, right? It could make a, a, a guy trying to gain uh, lose weight too. So you got to just be honest, listen to your body, you're eating enough. Um, I did the keto diet. I think... That was the dumbest thing I ever did, and I, I really was two feet in. I'm like, oh, this thing works. It's the best I ever felt. My sleep is so great. I did it for 104 days. My sleep is great. That was BS. My body feels great. Debatable. I'm so much stronger. No, let's be honest. Like, every time I would, uh, you know, try a max velocity sprint, I would almost feel like I was tweaking a calf or a hammy, right? So... And then they're like, oh, you're not having enough electrolytes. I got to the point where, like, everything I drank was just loaded with electrolytes. The food was ultra-salted. I, I thought it was terrible for athletes. And I, but I sold it like, man, this is it. This thing is, this is the best diet. Because I was told I was going to feel great. And, I, by, and in, in return, I was like, oh, yeah, I feel great. I lied to myself. So that's, that would be my biggest advice with food is just be honest with yourself. 
I remember. So I, I'll tell you. I went to the doctor. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the keto diet, a, a lot of things feel good, a little things feel off. But overall, I'm so much better. Bullshit. So I get some blood work, and my cholesterol is like through the roof. He goes, well, you got a little cholesterol problem. And he goes, maybe, and this is a doctor that likes the keto diet, you know, because he worked with a lot of cancer patients. He was a naturopath. He works with, uh, I can't think of the, uh, uh, people with narcolepsy and stuff like that. People that overall benefit from the ketogenic diet. And he was like, well, maybe it's not for you. And, he, and you know, and he was like, but did you need a blood test to, for me to tell you that you don't feel good? And I was like, no. And he was like, but you told me you felt good. And I was like, yeah. He was like, how about you listen to your body? And he goes just like this. He goes, every other animal on the planet, they figure it out without an expert telling them because they just listen to their body. He goes, coyotes eat out of my trash. And they figure it out. And I'm pretty sure it's the same pack that's lived by my house for years. He, he had a large farm and stuff, a private farm, you know. And I was like, holy crap. He's right. Like, I, I was lying to myself and lying to others that I felt great. And the truth is, the diet sucked for me. Maybe it works for others. I come across almost no football players that, that are that when they're being truthfully, they felt great on it, right? So that's the key with this food stuff. Training camp. You can't get enough calories. If you're gaining weight in training camp, don't get a Frosty. Um, paleo, I think, is a good diet, eating clean. But more importantly, you got to eat what you can. Everyone's on a budget. Everyone has a different budget, right? So eating something's better than nothing. You know what I mean? Don't let anyone guilt you because you can't afford to eat uh, at Whole Foods and you have to eat some uh, fast food and, and stuff like that. Don't get guilted about that, right? Everyone's got Everyone does what they do. Does what they have to do. Your body is amazing. It can adapt to so much. So don't feel shame and don't feel like you see some uh, influence on Instagram making you feel bad as a high school athlete because they're calling out the food that you eat when it's all you could, your family can afford. Fuck that. You do what you got to do, right? Something is better than nothing. And uh, most importantly, listen to your body, right? Be honest with yourself. I remember like eggs. For whatever reason, they make my joints hurt. Everyone knows eggs are good for them. Well, I, I gotta, I can't do them, right? And sure enough, I've had allergy tests, and eggs are off the chart on there. So listening to my body was right. So there, one more time, wrap it up. Training camp, you can't get enough. Be honest with yourself if you're gaining weight during training camp, though. Two, something is better than nothing, right? Don't be ashamed about the choices that you're forced to make. And number three, listen to your freaking body, right? It knows what's going on. Like the coyote's eating out of the trash. Okay. So sorry. All right. So the next question is maybe I'll go out of order. Oh, no, here's a good one. Okay. Basically, this kid is talking about his mom is fighting him on playing football. He's played football pretty much his whole life, and he's going into his senior year, and he missed football so much because um, uh, last year they didn't play. I don't know what state he's from. Let me see if it says. I don't know. Well, he didn't play last year. Anyways, his mom is really pressing him about the technology or the you know the information we have about football being dangerous and stuff like that. He wants to know what I let my kids play football. This is a high school kid. Anyways, um, this is a question I've thought about so much recently 
and had a lot of good discussions with over the past few years since I've had kids. Would I let my kids play football? Um, not that I'm trying to change your mom's mind. Like I get it, man. You got to work your family issues out. I'll answer that part because I think that uh, maybe some coaches go through this or think about this or some older or you know former players think about this. I'm not trying to get a riff with this kid and his mom. You guys got to work your family issues out. She's worried about you playing football because of the knowledge we have about it being dangerous. So, um, yeah, I would let my kids play football. Um, if my if my daughter wanted to play, yeah, I'm sure I'd let her play. Hopefully, it was flag. Um, she could do that. And uh, well, you know, <laughs> it's so funny. So the other day, I was at the park, and uh, yeah, because and 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 to that point, actually, no, I take that back. I know a lot of good uh, women football leagues, and I've met a lot of good professional uh, women football players, domestic and Europe, Asia. You know what? The leagues are, are they're not what they were. I, well, I don't know. I don't know what they were. They play good football. They're knowledgeable about the game. It's not that lingerie game. And I know those athletes are good too, but it's not that lingerie. I'm talking about it's real football with women. So, yes. If my daughter, absolutely, if my son wanted to play football, yes. And if my daughter wanted to play football, yes. So I won't make that a, a sex thing because absolutely, football players, that's why I always try to say O-line athletes. Football players, you, they, they come in all uh, genders and all that stuff now. Uh, it makes me think the other day I was at the park after school uh, with my kids and uh, or with, with my son. When he gets out of school, he goes to the park. And this lady just kept saying, she kept saying, he was playing with his friend. And she was like, they have the cutest hair. So he's got this long, curly hair. And I was like, what? why she keeps, I'm like, excuse me? And she was like, oh, man, they have the best-looking eyes. And I was like, what the heck is she talking about? So I'm like, he's playing with one friend. And I'm like, oh, the uh, the blonde hair one is mine. The, the Chinese kid, that's just his best friend. And she was like, oh, I didn't know what, um, what pronoun your son or he, or that that's not what she said. she said. I didn't know what pronoun they preferred. And I was like, oh, this is real. It finally happened. So I finally came across this conversation. I've seen it in the, the bios and stuff. So I came across this uh I came across this dialogue. It finally went down. And I was like, well, he um goes by he, I guess. It's, it's a boy. He's a boy. He has long hair. And she goes, Oh, because you know, the long hair might have thrown some people off. And I was like, no, he, I mean, yeah, all the time. A lot of people say, she's cute. And then he goes, oh, I'm a boy. Or we go, oh, yeah, that's our son. Our daughter's over there. We'll say stuff like that. So oh, I got to correct this, too. So this person goes, oh, uh, do you guys have preferred pronouns? And I was like, I've never, no. And they, well, this was a they, them. That's what they said, this person who looked like a female, looked like a mother of one of the children at the school, was like, well, they go by they. And I was like, oh, cool, man. And then they said, do you have other kids? I'm going I'm to get through this without messing up. They said, do you have other kids? I said, yeah, I have a daughter. She's three. And she said, well, do you ever think about allowing them to, or use they, them until they could pick their own pronouns as how, she, as how they worded it? And I was like, no, I never thought about it. Right, right now, my daughter likes to go by princess. Sometimes she likes to go by witch. But most of the time, she likes to go by princess. And I was like, so I guess my daughter already chose her preferred pronoun. 
And uh, so they were like, would well, you have a problem with referring to somebody by their pronoun? Not rudely, mind you. Not rudely. And I was like, no, I have no problem. I'll call anyone whatever they want. I was like, I call my daughter Princess because that's what she likes. I was like, no matter how ridiculous I find it, whatever you want. My intention is not to, uh, to uh, offend anybody. You know what I mean? So they were like, see, I'm killing this right now. They were like, well, is, do you think it's ridiculous? I said, well, are they going to be offended? And they gave me a look, and I was like, and they nodded their head like, no. And I said, well, yeah, I think it's very ridiculous. I said, because I'm struggling enough with my kids understanding these pronouns that, that, I, that I'm used to. And then, uh, but I'm, like I said, just because I think it's ridiculous doesn't mean I'm uh, opposed to doing it. So anyways, yeah, my daughter, she could play football just like all these other girls playing football. I don't know our brother's story. I thought it was interesting. I finally got to come across his pronouns. They and I had a really good conversation, very respectful. I still thought it was ridiculous, and they were not offended because I still referred to them by the proper pronouns. And I was talking about one person, even though I'm saying they, them. Anyways, so, yes, back to the question. I will let my kids play football. And I've thought about this so much because at my old job, uh, I was against my kids playing football mainly my son, because uh, not so much I was worried about the dangers of the game. I get the dangers of the game. I kind of feel like we all have choices to make. You know, uh, if something's worth it, my grandpa's always said things like, if something's worth it, it means something to you. You feel it in your gut. Uh, then it, if you feel it in your gut when you're not around it, just thinking about it, it gives you chills when you're not there. My grandpa said things are worth it, right? Like he got really beat up from 30 years in the military. I got not really beat up from football, but there was the risk of it. And uh, for him, he told me it was worth it. So I felt the same way. And, um, but my problem with them playing football before was I thought the coaches, I was like, I just don't want them around a toxic coaching staff because I believe coaches could really mess these players up. Uh, mentally, I've seen the physical part, right? I've seen, you know, the, the rab though and things we always hear about, I think it's getting less and less. I'd imagine maybe we just hear about it more because we have so much access to communications with uh, or access through social media for what, you know, players are going through. But I think there's a lot better strength coaches out there, at least they're, uh, and, and then the high school coaches that are having to do the dual responsibility of strength coach and high school coach. I think they're at least getting more informed. But I get that risk that a coach could fuck them up outside of the game just with uh, getting them, you know, overdoing things. You see things like rhabdo and th those kind of injuries. Yeah, I got a problem with that. But, um, you know, that's something I would keep an eye on. And then the other thing, but the thing that really was had me scared was these toxic coaches that were going to fuck them up mentally, right? Have them leaving the game. I, I read about it somewhere in a sports psychology book, uh, Your Brain on Sports. I think they refer to it like as uh, – not post-traumatic stress disorder because they didn't want to take away from the military, uh, but it was like a, a sports traumatic stress disorder, right? So I was concerned that coaches would just fuck them up, and I was like, it's a shitty culture. But I've changed my stance on that drastically. So if I have, if you're going to come across a, uh, a toxic coach in youth, which, I mean, okay, you're going to come across toxic people in life, you know what I mean, but normally you'd want to start it with your peers. You know what I mean? I'd rather you be bullied by your peers than an adult, but I think I've changed my stance on 
why I'm okay with the coach part. Because if as a father, I want to prepare my son for that, right? I want to have him prepared for the road. I don't want to tr- try to prepare the road for him, right? It's a quote from Cotton in the American Mind. So if I just said, hey, you can't play football, it's out of the question, these coaches are toxic, da 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 I'd be taking away his opportunity at one and experience that he truly may want to do. He may want to play football. And two, there is this, as I was talking with Dr. Looney or Dr. Dickhead, um, that gift of mental resilience, right? So we could talk, so we, we'd, um, him, my kids coming across this toxic coach while being prepared for, you know, being competent, being confident, not overly confident, just having it, being self-aware, talking out issues. If I had them prepared for that going in, well, they're going to come out of that situation. They might not enjoy this toxic coach, but they're going to get that chance to become more mentally resilient and, um, you know, maybe value themselves more and prepare themselves for the toxic people they come across later. Because that's, you know, I've worked for toxic people outside of football, and I believe, like, my experience in, um, in football prepared me for that ultimately. So I'm, I, I, I've changed my, completely changed my stance on that where I was like, no, I never want to play football, maybe in high school. Because these coaches, da, 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 I don't, they're not all bad. Because if that's the case, like, did I come across, like, the ten, only 10 good ones? Because I have coaches that I would run through a freaking wall through, for. You know what I mean? And some of them were assholes, and I'd still run through the wall for them. So my concern was less about the physical trauma part because I'm like, we all got to make our decisions there. Uh, I get the risk thing, man. I mean, we see this right now with, with COVID, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not getting canceled. Anyways, so we um, we have that part, but the mental part, I'm like, well, it's bigger than it. If you, if you prepare the kid be being more competent, you know what I mean, Tell them, teaching them not to be obedient while they could play the game, teaching them to be confident in life, uh, them coming across that, it can really help them become more mentally resilient later on and prepare them for you know, bigger test in life because it's bigger than football, right? So I've changed my stance. Yes, my kids can absolutely play football. Now, if I see some, if it's a toxic coach getting physical, that's a different conversation. That's something I want to be there for, right? It's like uh, I brought him up last week, like Bryce Peterson. I, I, I truly believe this man will be able to handle anything because of what I've seen him come out of. He went to Riverside Community College. This coaching staff was cocksuckers, right? And they put their hands on him, right? So if that's a youth coach doing that, okay, now the conversation's different. And I'm not doing that on any tough guy stuff. The conversation's different. Uh, if, a, if a kid has to experience a, a, a coach getting physical with him, you keep your hands to your damn self. It's like, uh, but with my, with my pal Bryce, what he went through at RCC, he got hit by a coach, some coward, right? And he was a pussy too, like, He's sucker. He's running away, running at him twenty yards away. Completely sucker punches him. You know, hit, hits him. He didn't punch him. He hit, hits him like a sucker hit, and he falls and he hops right back up like nothing, like a burpee. The guy didn't see it coming. You can't even knock out a kid that didn't see you coming from twenty yards away. That's a different story, though. Anyways, so that'd be a different conversation. But yeah, I'm I'm all for kids playing football. I'm less concerned about the toxic uh, coach that I was a couple years ago. My concern now is more about whether or not I'm preparing my kids for the road mentally, right? Because that road is out there. 
right? There's going to be, they're going to come across toxic coaches. They're going to come across toxic friends, teachers, toxic relationships in the future, toxic bosses, right? I want to have them prepared. And if they get a test, if they get tested earlier playing youth football or high school football, I think they're just that much more powerful, right? So that's where I stand. Like I said, I'm not concerned about the health, and I know that's not what a lot of people hear. Yes, the game's dangerous. Yes, we have a choice to make. Uh, I'll dress my with that dress those dangers with my son. I'm, I'm gonna let him be fully aware of you know the physical dangers of the game, and if he thinks it's worth it, or he likes it, or tries it, and he just continues to like it, it is what it is. And if he doesn't want to play football either, I don't care. As my grandpa said, when uh, the colonel, everyone's talking about what my son was gonna be. Maybe he'll do this. Maybe he'll be a football player like his daddy. Maybe he'll be a baseball player. My wife was a, a beast in college softball. Maybe he'll be a baseball player like his mommy. And my grandpa just shut it down. And he said the most profound thing ever, the colonel. He goes, what the hell? Maybe he'll play piano in a house of prostitution. Stop picking this man's future or this kid's future for him. Let the process work it out. And he's right. But in a nutshell, yes. My kids, if they want to play football, boy and girl, they can play football. And if I was going to say that one that has closer traits to being a mean football player, it is my daughter. Now, the son is a sweetheart. All right. Uh, next question. Yeah. Uh, and, and my bad, dude. I Look, I'm not going to get into a uh, – I'm not going to start something between, a, that's something between their son and their mom. That just, that just makes me uncomfortable. But anyways, I'm sorry for beating around the bush with that. Uh, next question. Okay, th- this is a good one, especially since it came up. Uh, I'm having to switch sides this week. Or I spent the last three years playing center. I'm now having to move to left guard. What are some tips? I feel completely out of place. Right guard is one thing, but having my left hand down just feels like a fish out of water. Okay, and this is a this is a shout out. This is a D two football player, my man. Anyways. I know that feeling, right? And I'm actually in my little, uh, uh, our group that we have with Coach Blazer, uh, Coach Ross, Coach Murph, Coach Rob Ortiz, Coach Mike, and Coach Cody. Um, we, we actually were going to talk about this this week, so this is good. I'll probably have a different insight on this uh, after this week because I'll hear a DB talk about guys switching sides. I'll hear other players talk about their experience switching sides or their experience helping guys switch sides. So I'll start off with my experience. So when I went to um, I went to Humboldt, I was the center, all that. When I got to the Jets, I went and played the first like few days at left guard. And I didn't think anything of it because literally I kind of just got by. I played in a center stance. I lined up on the center's toes. Like I was on the line of scrimmage, right? So it was pretty much like I was playing center without snapping a ball. And they didn't call it out or anything. Camp was really rushed. It is what it is. So that one wasn't bad. I was basically just playing center with my left hand on the ground, not snapping a ball, if that makes sense, because I didn't have that space. But um, later in my career, when I became a like a true swing guy, playing left, right, uh, and center, the left felt insane. It did Nothing made sense to it, for it, about it. I felt uncomfortable. Uh I'm like, oh, all I think about is what hurts when I'm uh, taking a pass set or in a stance or why I can't keep my hips strong and all kinds of stuff. 
And I was really forcing everything to feel like the right. I was, you know what I mean? Because right guard felt fine. Center, you have your right hand down. Uh, our snap right-handed. All I did was get a little stagger. So center felt, center and right guard were nearly interchangeable with me. Just the timing was different. But left guard, I just couldn't. I just thought of, all I ever thought about was the parts I hated. And, and I was always trying to be like, how come the set doesn't feel this way? So I was always trying to get the, the, I was just trying to get that same feel and same look at left guard as I did as right. And that was my biggest mistake. So I, after, you know, a ton of um, trial and error, and then, you know, I played okay at left. I'd get lucky, you know, maybe some plays that fit my strength at left guard and stuff. So I, I got around it, but I never felt right. And I almost always dreaded like, ah, oh, crap, left guard, got to go in. Um, I'd rather go center or right guard. I probably have, would have rather went right tackle than left guard at one point. But Larry Warford kind of pointed me out. He was like, okay, you got too much stagger. You can tell you're not comfortable. You're forcing the depth. He was like, what feels comfortable at left guard? So he messed with my stance. And it was like a center with a little stagger to the left. And he was, I was like, yeah, but I can't get deep. He was like, then you can't get deep. He was like, how else can you play without getting deep? And, he, and I was like, well, what about, um, uh, you know, games and overload fronts where I have to get back? He was like, just push back. He was like, it'll be deep enough, but you just got to start adjusting to not being able to play deep when you go to left guard. So I, he made me, you know, I got in a wider stance. Uh, I played flatter. Uh, I got a heavy inside hand. It's not something I did uh, out the gate at right guard. Um and all of a sudden, it just started clicking. Everything felt more natural. And I was like, man, I've been for, you know, four or five years fighting it, uh, trying to get, or, yeah, trying to make the two the same. They're not. And that, that's the first thing you have to accept. They're not the same, right? So you let your body kind of self-organize. Let your body figure out what parts feel right, what parts feel wrong, and go from there. I was kind of always under the impression, like, if it was uncomfortable, it was right. I, and... For me, if it was uncomfortable now, I'm like, your body's telling you something. So you got to work around that. So that's the first thing is they're not the same. It's not the same position as you for you. Riding, riding right-handed versus riding left-handed are different. Brushing your teeth right-handed versus brushing your teeth left-handed are different. No one's ever asked a quarterback, uh, oh, great, you look great at the combine. Now let's see you go through all these drills with the opposite arm. It's not. It's, it's different, right? There's exceptions. Don't feel shame because there's exceptions to this, right? In the league, there's plenty of guys that are pure centers, pure left tackles, pure right tackles, pure right guards, pure left guards. Then you have your freaks, right? Like uh, the Jenkins in Green Bay. He could play all five. He's a freak. He's an exception. Um, I think like in my – I've witnessed Bush, Jermon Bush, right? He played, I think, tackle for nine years, and he played guard for four. Uh and he went from left tackle to right guard. He had, like, some clutter his first year, but he figured it out, right? These are freaks. These are exceptions, right? So don't feel shame by the shit you see on Twitter, maybe, where someone's like, well, good players can play. They're interchangeable. Uh, if or things like, well, if he's not a good pass blocker at left tackle, you have to move him to right tackle. These things are ridiculous. You're, you're, you're looking at a bunch of exceptions to the rule. So don't let anyone make you feel shame. Like, okay, I believe you should be able to play multiple positions on the O-line. 
especially at the lower levels. But it doesn't mean you're not going to have a best spot. You're not going to have a spot that feels the most comfortable or where you perform the best. So get it out of your head. Like if, if it's just way off, okay, it's not the same. Okay, then start finding out how to adapt from there. So I can only speak to myself at left guard. I had to play with a wider stance. I had to play with less stag, less stagger. I had to play flatter. Okay, from there, that's what I have to learn. Okay, so now I take these things. I'm playing flatter. That's ultimately the big change. With playing flatter, how do I still find a way to win my one-on-one reps? Because as of right now, at right guard, I'm used to more space. Okay, so that's what I had to adapt to. Maybe at um, you play with a. Maybe you have to do a more narrow stance. Maybe you do like me. You have to have less stagger stance, more stagger. But you'll figure it out. Is that don't try to make the two the same, because they're not. I like. I feel like Larry Warford. He was uh, all pro right guard. When he'd go to center, he he was like in a right guard stance, right? So could he have played left guard at a high level? Yeah, probably made the Pro Bowl. I'd say maybe like an alternate Pro Bowl. I could see that. But would it have been, would it have looked the same? No, he would have had to figure a different way out of doing it. First off, he threw his left hand his first four years like uh, like a like a Tyson uppercut or Tyson right or a back hook, right? So that was his inside hand at right guard. Well, now he, maybe he used to throwing that hand so much, now he's throwing outside hand. Well, now he has to learn how to play, set, perception versus reality with playing with an outside hand. I watched it with Sean LaValle. He moved from right guard to left guard, and he said the same thing. He was like, man, I don't get it. I keep playing with my inside hand, my inside hand, when he moved to left guard. Well, that's because he was an outside hand puncher at right guard. So the key is it's not the same. You have to find a way to adapt within, you know, what feels right, what helps you organize. And then as you get that down, you know, I think you'll, you'll start uh, getting better at mixing things up. Because, like, when I went to left guard, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm playing flat. I'm going to play with a heavy inside hand, which was not my go-to game regularly. When I got good at just winning that and repeating that, the repeatability of me taking a set and grabbing the inside shoulder with my inside hand, then I was able to kind of start working, you know, outside one-two punch or grabs or jumps. But I had to get something. I had to get something that felt natural, get good at that, and then I started adding tools from there. So I don't think all your tools – that you gained at right guard are just going to show up at left guard. You got to keep it simple. We're seeing it right now with a uh, Panay Sewell, right? I mean, one of the best tackles in the draft. I and look, man. I, there's two things you don't do on social media. You don't talk about Quentin Nelson. You don't talk about Panay Sewell. I think that Slater was better than him, right? I think Slater had. If you're looking at the flash and the wow, okay, in college film, Panay Sewell all day, right? Like, he would just wow you. Uh, but when you're looking at, if you guys are getting this feedback, my bad. I got a, I think there's a gardener out there uh, or a landscaper. So, but when you're looking at, like, consistency, like just doing the, the, the most important things consistently over and over and over again, that was Slater. And I think he showed that. For one, he showed that this, in, in this first preseason game. But what we didn't see with Penne, we didn't see Penne at his position. He's had a couple OTAs to learn right tackle, right? At the end of the day, grand scheme of things, he's had a couple practices 
in relation to how many games he started at left tackle. I don't know if he probably played left tackle in college or high school. So he's having to find out what made him great or what made him special, what made him a top five pick. I think he was top five pick. Sorry if you're getting that feedback. Well, he has to figure out what made him special at left tackle and transfer that to right tackle. And for starters, it's not the same, right? So he's got to start with the basics and then start adding his tools. I think his what wows you about Pene, it's not going anywhere, right? Like, that guy's going to make crazy athletic blocks downfield and stuff like that. I'd love to see him on a, a screen, even though tackles don't do anything on screens. Uh, most of the time, they just set the guy on field anyways. Um, but that wow stuff's not going anywhere. But him being comfortable at right tackle, that's going to take time, right? He's got to get good at the – he's got to find, like, his baseline and then add tools from there. He has to understand it's not the same, right? You could already tell. Like, he, uh, that sack that he had the other day, there was, there was a multifactorial sack, right? The right, tack, right guard got beat, and he, he didn't look as strong on that rep. I'd say the right guard probably caused it. Maybe the quarterback could have stepped up. But he didn't, he didn't finish in a strong position on his rep. The right guard wins his rep. Maybe we're not even talking about Pene Sewell right now. Maybe he's not going viral about being a bust or whatever the hell people, the experts on Twitter want to say. But in the day, he didn't look strong the way he finished, right? It, you could tell, like, he wanted it. His body almost just wanted to get in that left tackle stagger. What do you expect? He's a left tackle, and you're asking to move him. So that, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to switch sides. It's not the same. There's freaks out there, yes. But at the end of the day, you got to adapt. you got to find your bases. you got to find your basics, and you add tools from there. Don't rush it. Don't think you're the same player on both sides unless you're, you go there and it just feels natural. It's exactly the same because I've seen him. I, you know, I played with Evan Britton. He's got a good podcast. You should check it out. He was with Mike Tyson for a couple of seasons on uh, Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson on their podcast. He came in. Played left tackle in college, played little left, or I think he got drafted in the second round, but in the first round they drafted Eugene Monroe when he went to Jacksonville. He went to right tackle, and I go, I was like, was that hard? He said no, because prior to playing left tackle in college, he played right tackle. He only moved to left tackle so he could get drafted uh, early because he came out as a junior. So him, it was easy. He'd go to right tackle, left guard, left tackle, right guard. Uh, He tried to play center. He couldn't get the snaps, but he could have done that too. He was just one of those guys. It was all the same to him. He punched with his outside hand, no matter what side he was on. But don't let that uh, don't let that first off get to you though. Like when you see them like clowning Pene Sewell, like first off, this guy's gonna be he's still gonna be great. End of the day, he's a first round pick, and he's just gotta figure some stuff out. It takes time. So when you see a jackass on Twitter, and I will say that with impunity. Being like, oh, the greats can move left to right. I've seen a lot of greats, guys that are going to be, hopefully with gold jackets, that could play one freaking position. That's it, right, at that level. If they moved to the next position, they they wouldn't have been as great. They wouldn't have been great. Put it that way. That's the truth. It's not freaking easy. You know what I mean? And I think that corners have that that same dilemma, the DBs. That's why they, Revis was so great. You know what I mean? He could just line up anywhere. He could line up on the sidelines. He could line up on the slot, left, right. He could press. He could play off. He's a freak. Ask the corners if they like moving around. I guarantee you those are the two spots, like moving left to right. It's different. So that's it for starters. 
find find a way to self-organize that feels more natural. When you're feeling more natural, what's different, okay? And don't try to correct that, right? That was a mistake I made. I'd feel something different and be like, oh, I'm not as deep. I got to get deeper. I fought, I fought myself. You know what I mean? I say it. We're our own worst enemy. If not you, then freaking who? So I would be like, oh, I got to find a way to get deeper, right? The truth is what I should have realized is I don't set as deep. Now, what do I do from there? How does this inspire or influence me adapting my decision-making in the game, me playing more shallow left? That's where you go from. So don't get so caught up in trying to make the two sides feel the same. Because for most of, the, most of the people playing this game, they're not the same. And if we just look at one of the most uh, electrifying offensive line athletes in the last, you know, uh, since Quentin Nelson got drafted, Penny Sewell, at the end of the day, you can see he is struggling a little bit with moving from left to right. That is not his fault. I believe that's the organization's fault when you're a first-round pick. I get it, right? Undrafted, you got to do what you got to do. This is probably more for undrafted people. Um, and then give it time. Penny is still special. He will still wow you. I guarantee it. And he will find out what makes him special over there. And it'll all work out. Um, got about 50 minutes. Um, let me see if I got any more questions worth going in. You know what? I uh, I ramble too much, and you guys know that. Um, there's no way I could keep a, uh answer under 10 minutes. So there you have it. We talked a little bit about food. That comes up all the time. Talked a little bit about switching sides. And uh, I appreciate the support, guys. Um, like my videos. Like my podcast. Share it if you don't mind. Hit a five-star review. I appreciate it. If you think it's four, let me know. At least message me why. I'll try to five it up. I know I'm not editing anything. You might have got a lot of feedback from the landscapers. But, you know, we're coming around at Hand on the Line Podcast. Get ready for some guests. Football is freaking back, baby. The preseason, don't get down on the O-line. It takes some time to get better as an O-line. It's not just one individual. It's a freaking unit. They're having to adapt to an environment that's adapting to them. It takes time as an O-line to get that continuity. you got to get in a couple. Uh, you got to trip each other up a couple times. you got to pick each other up a couple times. you got to get in a couple arguments. you got to get in a couple fights with some D-linemen. you got to do some dog piles, you know, throw a, throw a couple of nuts on the chin strap, as they say. I don't know who says that, but you got to go through these things. You got to go through these trials and tribulations. It's only been one week. Stop fucking dragging the O-line, Twitter. It's coming around. Give it some fucking time. O-line's back. Nothing's changed, baby.